Hi friends and welcome to this episode of the Book of Acts series. In this one, we're going to be going through only one chapter, chapter 8. And the reason for that is I believe in this chapter, there are so many things that are so important for us today to revisit and reconsider. I actually believe that if the modern church were to sit down with the book of Acts chapter eight and have a sincere read through it to bring correction where needed, we would be solving a lot of issues. In fact, there are many things that the early church avoided that the modern church have fallen into pitfalls and fallacies, errors that have been creeping up all around us. And so I'm excited to dive in to explore these things with you. And I want us to really do introspection. We're going to be looking at everything from causing our demons to baptism to money, to all of these topics that we face that are extremely controversial. So let's dive right in. We're now picking up on Philip's journey. And Philip is one of the deacons who were picked in Acts chapter 6 alongside Stephen and others. And so last week we read about Stephen and his his martyrdom, his stoning. And now we're now the story in the book of Acts is shifting towards Philip's story and a little bit, just a, a chapter is being spent on his journey. And this is, again, I think God highlighting, look, the apostles I chose, my disciples I walked with, and I am doing amazing things through them. Right. And, and that is what we are. We have been reading about But now God is also telling us, but I'm also picking people who aren't the apostles. I'm also picking people who are who are, quote unquote, ordinary men who did not walk with Yeshua in the same way. And I can use them very powerfully as well. It's not that you need you you can't say, oh, you know, that's that's the apostles. Oh, that's the disciples. You know, God uses them powerfully. But today we are just average Joes and God can't use us that way. God is trying to tell us, look, what I'm about to do through men who aren't the apostles, because what I can do through them, what stops me from doing the same through you? What stops him? Nothing except if we get in his way. Right. Okay. Cool. Let's read. So chapter eight, uh, we read now about Philip. He's going down to a city called Samaria. And we pick up in chapter uh, uh, eight, verse six. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits, crying out of a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Wow. Like, okay, we're seeing now that Philip is doing signs and wonders, healing even people who are lame. And he is casting out demons to the point where it's describing that they come out with a loud voice. In other words, these demons are screaming through the people that they were being cast out of that. That must have been quite a, a sight to see, right? 
Like imagine just someone casting out demons. The demons are screaming. You can imagine the people like that must be like it's like kind of scary. It's strange. It's weird. But it's like wow, who else have has done this? You know, in the city of Samaria, this is probably a really new thing because no one can cast out demons except by the name of Yeshua. And so, you know, what's really interesting also is it says that there were many who had demons. Many had demons. Now, you know, sometimes today I've heard people say, you know, uh, you know well, we don't have as many demons as, as back then. We don't have as many people struggling with demons as back then in the time of Jesus. Because look how many demons... You know, it seems like Jesus was casting out demons all the time, you know, and Yeshua's disciples were casting out demons all the time. And and now we, why, so obviously, you know, we don't have many demons today because, well, we don't see them be cast out all the time anymore. I want to submit to you that the demons didn't go on holiday, but instead it's simply been that we haven't been casting them out the way that they have in the scriptures. And... There are many reasons to this, including us not knowing our authority, not exercising our authority, um, and so forth. But uh, this is the case is not that the demons aren't around today. You know, people think that demons ha- are like uh, when someone has a demon, they immediately just think of someone who's like absolutely possessed by the demonic. Okay, someone who is absolutely like. Um, um, walking around and he needs to be chained down. Otherwise, he's going to go crazy and hurt people. And, you know, yeah, that can happen in possession. But most oppressions, demonic oppressions, happen under the surface. These are people who operate reasonably normally. They may have a, little, a few little weird quirks and weird extremes about their personalities. and but, the, but for the most part, you wouldn't look at them and without discernment, you won't be able to know that they have a demon. Okay, so, and this is what people don't understand is that demons hide, but demons do show up when they're confronted. They do show up when either you head on confront them or if sometimes we enter the room and there's someone who has demons in the room, those demons will also show themselves, right? So, so there's this that's going on. This is why these demons are all manifesting. That's why many people had demons suddenly. These people didn't always suddenly, it seems like everyone wasn't, wasn't always like, oh, look, everyone has demons around us. No, when Philip entered the town of Samaria, all these demons started manifesting. They were always there, but they were always hidden. Now they're manifesting. Many had them now, and now he's casting them out. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Well, that's the first problem, right? If, you, if, you, if someone's going to tell you they're great, it's probably a good, good, there's probably a good reason that they're not, right? Uh, Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Wow, right? So, So this is a man who really seems to be doing some things that are pretty miraculous, whether they were faked or whether they were demonic powers, we do not know. But one thing is for certain is that demonic powers do exist. Um, when we think about a classical example, we could think of 
Pharaoh's magicians and the story of the Exodus with Moses, how Moses approaches Pharaoh with his staff and Pharaoh's magicians, sorcerers, have these um, snakes come. Moses' staff turns into a snake, eats the snakes of the sorcerers. In other words, we have a lesson that there is a form of power that the kingdom of darkness can have. We shouldn't be ignorant of that and pretend like there's nothing there. But the second lesson is that there is more, much more, more power. There is no competition. Um, God's snakes eat the snakes of the enemy. God crushes the enemy. But we need to be yielding a staff as a people who knows about who sent them. We need to know who our God is. We need to know and believe that he is more powerful because otherwise we we don't walk by faith and the demons they also are they are exercised in other words they are caused out by people who walk in faith not unbelief okay so um then we see also now this other thing that's happening is you know obviously Simon is a false prophet he is not do, walking in truth yet he is doing miracles or some some trick, whatever. He's doing something. So how do we know what is truth? Because it seems that, you know, you can't say just because there's a miracle, there's truth, right? So how do we know that it's from God? How do we know whether Simon is a false prophet or, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a few things, but he has to proclaim Yeshua. And the other thing, which is very important, is that he, if there's true power of the Holy Spirit, then there will be freedom that follows. It will not be someone who is doing signs and wonders to proclaim themselves as being great. They will be pointing to Yeshua, not to themselves. Simon's pointing to himself, right? He said, um, saying that he himself was somebody great. So ultimately, God does wonders because he wants freedom to come about. He will either do it to show to an unbeliever that he is God. He will do it to heal someone. He will do it to give someone a word of knowledge or a prophetic word. He, he will do something that has a purpose that glorifies and edifies the kingdom of God. Okay, But now, when we look at Simon, it was the opposite. But yet people paid attention to him. People will, were very like, wow, look at this man, right? Like, what's up with him? Everyone is like, wow. And this is a tactic of the enemy. You see, the enemy, well, God has the desire to bring freedom to people by doing signs and wonders. The enemy has a different objective. His objective is bondage. But not only bondage, but to distract people. You see, as long as the everyone is paying attention to the sorceries, to maybe false signs and wonders, to 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 tricks that are that don't even have power but but amuse people, um, whatever it is, people are being distracted away from the kingdom of God, and that's what the enemy was trying to do through Simon, because Philip was going through town, but if everyone is just focused on on Simon, maybe they'll, they won't focus on Philip and the truth that he's about to proclaim, right? So that's one of the, the tactics. 
The, the other tactic of the enemy is to hurt the witness of the signs and power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if someone sees uh, a, a false prophet or, or false signs and wonders of some sort happening, what they'll do is they'll, they'll go and say, well, you know, I, I don't think I want anything to do with anything like that anymore because they may have been hurt by it. They may have, may have seen it for what it is, how false it is. And then they'll say, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. And, and in fact, they'll go as far as to say, I don't want anything to do with anything that even remotely looks like it. So now when the Holy Spirit comes and does something that is true and authentic, legitimate of God, but yet, of course, will sometimes look like, look similar because to the falsehoods. Because here's the thing. The enemy copies God. He, he tries to imitate God. He tries to look like God, but he isn't like God. So when you see the enemy and he kind of looks like God and then you, you reject that, but then you come to God and, and he and he's got it doing the legitimate signs and wonders, but it kind of looks like healing that the enemy has done before, or it looks like speaking in tongues that the enemy has done before, or it looks like whatever spiritual gift that the enemy has done before, then we reject God's gift and his Holy Spirit. And this is the problem with people who say, you know, I, I have seen a Satanist speak in tongues, therefore I know that it is wrong to speak in tongues. Or I have seen, you know, my my the continent where I come from in Africa, there's a lot of Sangomas, witch doctors, who do a lot of healings. Okay, they, they do healing. It's nothing like what God does. It's, 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 there's really issue, real issues with it. Like, it's not powerful. It brings curse, and there's a lot of issues with it. But it kind of looks like the true spiritual gift of healing. And so you can go there and say, oh, I don't like what those Sangomas, those witch doctors are doing there. So all of the healings of today is must be wrong. Well, God doesn't do that either then. No, of course he does. Right? So this is a, so when someone starts telling me, well, Petey, look, um, I don't believe in this or that spiritual gift because this or that experience I've had hurt my feelings or I saw falsehood, I saw malpractice, and therefore I don't want anything to do with the authentic gift, then immediately the enemy has been successful in you because he has convinced you to look away from the Holy Spirit because, well, look, all of these bad things happening. But that's what the enemy wants to do. He's doing bad things around you with 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 falsehoods so that you walk away from what God actually wants from you. Now, here's the big question. Why? What is the enemy so afraid of? Why would he go through so much trouble to get you away from walking in the spirit? That's a very good question, isn't it? Doesn't it, could it not be that he is absolutely terrified of a bride of Christ walking in spiritual gifts powerfully, but that, but, but that he would instead spend all his energy and time trying to create falsehood, false religions, false counterfeit gifts, and all these things to, to confuse people so that no one wants anything to do with the Holy Spirit anymore, so that he can go and roam, so that he can do what he wants, so that his demons can be under the surface everywhere and no one calls him out. That's what has unfortunately happened in many movements and places. The enemy has in some places been successful with this. Now, my question is, will, I, will he be successful in this tactic in your family? 
Because I don't know about you, but in me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will not let counterfeit gifts and counterfeit signs and wonders and counterfeit people who have done counterfeit things turn us away from the real movings of the Spirit that is described in the Word is true and is for me because I know what my Bible says. That's what it says. I will not believe what my eyes see over what the Bible says, because I walk by faith. I will not let my emotions of being hurt by a bad past experience as as bad as that is. And, and I'm truly sorry if that has happened. However, I will not let those past experiences allow. I don't want to allow those experiences to steal what God has for me today still. Because if I do, uh, the only person who's losing, brothers and sisters, is you. You're the one losing out on what God has for you. Because you will let your emotions rule you above what the Word says is for you. And God says, this is for you. uh, Philip was a man who casted out demons. He was a man who, who healed sick people, even people who had, who had lameness. Wow, like, wouldn't you want that? Like, wouldn't you want to enter a room and have demons tremble? Wouldn't you want to enter a room and and have people walk out healed? Philip did this and and the whole town of Samaria would be changed by that forever. Okay, let's read on. Acts 8 verse 13. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they may receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they lay their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is this is like the first time, brothers and sisters, I read this. I'll be honest with you. I was, this was a moment where I was like, oh my goodness. This is huge. Like these people did not have baptism of the Holy Spirit. So much so that Peter and John had to come and travel down from Samaria to uh, from Jerusalem to Samaria. Do you know how far it is from Jerusalem to Samaria? Uh, I did you a favor. I looked it up on Google Maps. I just typed it in. It would take you a walk of 21 hours and 36 minutes. That's a long walk. I bet you most of us haven't walked that long in a long time. And even by car, it's a couple of hours drive. Okay, they're dry, they're, they didn't drive on that day, but they walked 21 hours, 21 hours and 36 minutes at least. Um, and they got there with the purpose of just laying hands on Samaria. With the purpose of coming to these people so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. A people who, and this is huge, a people who Philip had already reached with the gospel, who had already believed in Yeshua, Jesus, who had already been baptized in water. They had all the markers of salvation, right? They were a saved people, but yet they still found it necessary, Philip and uh, Peter and John, to come down to 
Samaria in order to lay hands on them. But today we teach in many circles that, well, you know, the moment that you ask Jesus into your heart, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or the moment that you've, you've, you're baptized in the water, oh, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, don't, water, don't worry about any of that. That's what I was taught. But why, if that's the case, Peter and, and John should stay home. They don't need to come to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. They, they, they would have automatically received that, wouldn't they? But they did not. They deemed it necessary. This is like huge. Do you hear this? This is huge. It's, it means that there's something more. That, that there's, there's a belief that we have. We get saved by faith. Amen. And we, we get baptized in water for the remission of our sins. Amen. But then there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit that is separate from belief in Christ and separate from just baptism in water. It's a, a baptism in the Holy Spirit that came about by the laying of the apostles' hands in this case. Have you sought in your life a baptism of the Holy Spirit? Or have you remained content with belief and baptism in water? That's, that's, that's incredible. But, but have you remained there? And have you been missing out on the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because Yeshua said, it is good that I go. He said, it is good that I go. Why did he go? Well, he died for your sins to be wiped. That's why you believe and you get baptized and you, you, you receive salvation. But then there's this gift of the Holy Spirit that he says, I ascend for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Now, you can believe and you can be saved through belief, but you never be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit cannot talk to you. Doesn't mean those people can't nudge you and convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You can, but baptism means immersion. Okay, so it, it's one thing to to have the Holy Spirit speak to your heart about something. It's another to be absolutely immersed in Him, so, like a man who is immersed in the water, soaking wet. You can be soaking wet, immersed in the Holy Spirit. And that is what the baptism immersion of the Holy Spirit is. Learn more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to watch my teaching, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and in fire. I'll link it up for you in the description and the card up here. All right. Let's read on Matthew 10, verse 5. I want to read this for you because, um, believe it or not, Peter and John being in Samaria is quite an interesting place to be because Yeshua told them to not go to Samaria. Yeah, he said in Matthew 10, verse 5, these 12... Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so that's interesting, isn't it? You, initially, when they were sent out, Yeshua told them specifically to not go to the town of the Samaritans. But yet here they are. In chapter 8 of Acts, and they're in the town of the Samaritans. What's up with that? Are they being disobedient? No, 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 of course not. But 
it does bring up an interesting point. You see, they are in this place where they got this commission from Christ here in Matthew. And then in the first chapter to the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, if you've been following me in the series, you would have realized that that was all about Jerusalem. That was all about to the Jew first. And in fact, this is what uh, Paul tells us. He says in Romans 1 verse 16 that the gospel was given to the Jew first and then to everyone, Gentiles, Samaria, etc. And so now what has happened is the apostles have been spending their time going to the Jews first in Jerusalem. And now they have done so. Now we are entering Acts chapter 8 and we are seeing their focus is being drawn now to Samaria and soon thereafter to the rest of the known world. And why am I bringing all this up? Because many people have taught this thing called replacement theology, which is simply, it just means that, well, the church, the Christian church has absolutely replaced Israel and replaced the, uh, the Jewish people, for example, as being part of Israel. Now, you know, God once dealt with the Jews, but now he deals with the Christians and he's done with the Jews. That's, that's what some have taught in the many of the mainstream mainline denominations. But if that's the case, why the continuous focus on to the Jew first by the Messiah? Yeshua still said, don't just run to the Gentiles. Don't just run to the Samaritans first. I want you to go to the Jewish people because I have made a covenant with them. I have come to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So God is not done with them. God is not like, okay, you know, yeah, you, whatever, you lost your chance, it's over with. No, God is not done with them. And to this day, God is not done with them. And it's not that the church has replaced Israel, it's that the church has become grafted into Israel. Christianity, if you will, and believers around the world who believe in Yeshua, whatever you want to call yourself, they are grafted into Israel. That's what Paul has written to us. That means that you are Israel by that grafting in and you partake in its pro in the promises of Israel. However, you do not replace Israel. Important distinction. Acts 8 verse 18. Now when Simon saw the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles hands, he offered them money. Okay, we're getting to Simon now. Okay, he he came to faith. He got baptized in water, but now he sees the baptism of the spirit happening. And as he sees it happening, he's offering them money. And he says, give me this power also so that anyone in whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Okay. So we obviously see that Simon has a weird intent going. He probably is thinking, well, look, um, I used to be able to do all these magic things and tricks and sorceries and people loved me. And like we read earlier, the reason he did it was so that he can tell everyone how great he is. And there's probably money involved in how great he is. You know, people were giving him money for how great he is. But now he says, sees, oh, 
this new guy is in town. He's doing these signs and wonders and I, and it's better than mine. And I need to find a way to get what he has. And he sees it as well. I can just go and offer him money. I can ask Peter, Hey, can you give it to me too? And then, you know, I'll pay for it. I'll be fair. I'll pay for it. You know, that's, that sounds fair. Doesn't it? Right. I mean, for a businessman trying to make money, it sounds fair for a commercialized mind for a mind that is full of a capitalist mindset in regards to the gospel, trying to make money in whichever way it makes total sense to offer money. And in fact, today we read this and we're like, wow, that sounds so weird. But today this is happening all the time, brothers and sisters, all the time in a different form. These things are happening all around us in ministries all around the world. And I'll get to that in a second. But what I just want to bring out before I do is that Simon was so taken aback by how amazing these baptisms of the Spirit were, were looking. You know, when Peter and John were doing baptism of the Spirit, laying hands on people, Simon saw this and there was something about what happened there that he was like, well, this is so amazing. I want to pay for this. In other words, there was an outward sign of power happening. Now, you know, in many cases in the scriptures, we see, for example, speaking in tongues happening when there's baptism in the Holy Spirit. Other times there was prophecy. People just start prophesying. And other times, like in this case, it doesn't tell us whether there was something. But we can assume because, well, we see that Simon offers money for it. So there must be something miraculous looking. There must be something incredible to see. There must be something like, wow, I want this. And I think it's important for us to realize that, yeah, the the pattern in the scriptures is that there is when people get baptized in the spirit, their life is never the same again. There is something supernatural that happens. They start walking in spiritual gifts of whatever kind. You know, they they it's it's like inside of them. They're like, oh, I want this. I need this. I I I want to walk in the spirit. I want to lay my hands on the sick. I want to I want to speak in tongues. Oh, I want to interpret tongues. Oh, I want to I want to prophesy, Lord. And, I, and the reasons can be. It, you can either be a Simon or you can be a Peter. You can be a man who desires to do these things with their flesh because you want it for your own gain. That's one thing. Like Simon wanted it for his own gain. Or you can be like Peter or or the other disciples who did not do it for their own gain, but for the glorification of God's kingdom. So if you want this for gain, you want to be like Simon, go home because you're in a dangerous place. Don't do it. Don't, don't, don't do it. Don't even ask for it. Make sure that your heart is pure before the Lord. Because ultimately, what did Peter say? May your silver perish with you. May your silver perish with you. May what you desire to get out of it perish with you. If you desire it for unclean purposes. And so we see, just like Ananias and Sapphira, that intent of the heart is everything because Ananias and Sapphira, like we mentioned earlier, they, they, they lied about how much they gave because the intent of their heart was not to just give for the glorification and building of God's kingdom, but for the building of their own kingdoms. Okay. Now, when we, when we look at, 
at, at Simon, right, we also see similarly he wants to spotlight. He wants to feel special. He wants um, to build something. Maybe to, I want to build a ministry. I want to build a something for myself. I want to build a, insert the blank. But, you know, when we look at God's instructions, like, for example, God going and saying, go into the world, proclaim the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, or even the, the law, just a simple law of God. See, the law of God was not given to make you feel special or for you to boast over your own law keeping or your abilities. The law was given to show your sin. The law was given to point out what you're doing wrong and what you need to instead be doing. It was not there to give you something to boast about. And similarly, the gospel was not there and wasn't given for you, for you to gain the world, but it was given for you to lose the world. It was given for you to lose the world, but gain Christ and gain salvation because the one who is friends with the world does not have Christ. That's what the Bible says. And so we see thus far that the biggest sins in the early church here in the book of Acts seems to have always to do with selfish gain. And, well, oftentimes money is involved in that. But does that mean that money is a problem for the believer? Because ultimately, when we look at money, it seems as if though it's not being painted in the, the brightest light here. But I want to submit to you that money itself is not the problem. It's rather when we trust in what money can buy more than in God and trust in money to take care of us. Or it's when we love what money can buy more than love God's kingdom. Money at the end of the day is simply a vehicle, something that we use like time itself. Time can be spent with evil. Time can be spent with good. Money can be spent in evil. Money can be spent in good. It's a vehicle. But we see in the Bible that we do get a warning that money should be, we should be cautious around it. Because the things that money can buy us is very tempting for the flesh, the, the average person. Now, I, I want to read to you 2 Chronicles 1.10, um, just as a, I want, I want us to have balance about regarding this subject. It's very important, I believe. And I'm just going to take a moment to talk about Solomon here. Solomon is asking God for something. And what does he ask God? He says, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can I govern this people of yours? Which is so great. God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart. In your heart. You hear that? Because this is in your heart. And you have not asked for possession, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you. And I have not even asked for long life, but I have given, I have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. Okay, just because... Solomon's heart was right before God in this moment. 
asking for knowledge and wisdom. How do I lead these people? God says, because your heart is right, I will provide you for you possessions. I will provide for you wealth. I will because Solomon's heart was not um, in wealth to begin with. He his heart was not um, uh, he. I want to get rich. I want to get this and that in the world. No, his heart was just God help me be a good leader. So this tells us that if our heart is ruled by money, you will typically not be entrusted with it. How can God trust you with finances? Because obviously he's the he's the provider. He's the one who gives. But how can he entrust it with you if you cannot be trusted with it? But if your heart is not after it, if your heart is after him and his kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will be added unto you. If your heart is after his kingdom, well, the rest will be given to you. God will bless you and allow you to have things to steward. But don't expect God to bless you with things to steward if you have not proven to be faithful with the little you had at first. So Simon offering money for the Holy Spirit, obviously wrong. However, also, if Peter, the one who was asked, gave in and allowed Simon to pay for the Holy Spirit, Peter himself would be guilty of charging for the gospel. And this is a problem because one of the instructions that Yeshua gave him and everyone who proclaims the gospel, even to this day, is freely you receive, freely give. Matthew 10, verse 7, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Okay, so if someone is now coming and they have received from God the gospel, like they have, but yet they charge people to get access to the gospel, access to the Holy Spirit, access to whatever, that is sin. That is wrong. That's breaking the commandment of God to freely give. Ultimately, how can we charge for something that was paid for by the blood of Christ? Christ died for the world to have access. So if we come and we put a paywall in front of it, uh, as uh, you say, if you're in a ministry or if you're teaching or if you're whatever, and you're, you're putting a paywall in front of teachings, like, that's just like, totally an opposite. And that is what Simon ultimately is the same heart as Simon to sell the Holy Spirit, to sell the teachings of Christ. Peter said, no, let it perish with you. And so today I say, no, all who try and put paywalls up before the gospel, beware, beware. Beware, because Peter said, let your silver that you desire to ultimately not just pay for it, but ultimately receive in exchange for it as you share it. Let your silver perish with you is what he said. That's so crazy to me because this is such a huge thing today still. In America, for some reason, people have come to think because we have capitalism and 
everything's so commercialized that it's okay to just, okay, well, yeah, I just pay now for, for this and teaching and that thing. Let me just be clear that I'm not against, um, you know, a book or, or, or a CD or, or something that, you know, someone is selling with a teaching or that on it because, well, that's different. It costs money to produce a book. It costs money to produce a CD. However, when you have those things, are those teachings available for free in a medium that is for free as well? Okay, that's important. If the medium costs money, sure thing, that's fine. But if the medium is free, like, don't charge for it. We have tools today where we can give the, the gospel into the hands of people for free. And that has to happen. But see, this is a topic that needs such balance. Because on the other hand, just because it says freely receive, freely give, it does not mean that there isn't a cost there is still a cost associated with working and laboring in ministry. And so when when someone labors in ministry among you, it's still important for them to be compensated for that. How are they going to look after their family? Uh, we read in Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 9, 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. In other words, freely give, freely receive, freely give doesn't mean, oh, we should, you know, no one should ever, exp uh, you know, get anything in return. No, offerings to people in ministry is a very biblical model. It is, in fact, what Yeshua commanded. Paul said he commanded that those who work in the gospel, who work in full-time ministry, they need to feed their family. How will they do so? If we pay the man who cleans our gutters or mows our lawn, how much more should we make an offering to those who help us grow spiritually? So we see that the biblical model is not paywall. In other words, you pay and then you get access to the gospel. You pay, you get access to the Holy Spirit. Instead, it is you get access for free, freely receive. But then if you are someone who can give, you need to sow back into God's kingdom and to that person who has blessed you. Because ultimately, that's how the model works. The model does not excuse you from taking, 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 but yet never giving back into God's kingdom. That's not what this is about. That is wrong. You need to sow into God's kingdom as well. But now here's the thing. If you do so, you are paying it forward for people who could not give because they are not able to or people who would not give because maybe they're an atheist and they're not going to give money for something they don't believe in yet, but yet they get free access to it and they get open access to it without paywalls and they can receive the gospel because you, someone else, sowed into a ministry who's reaching out to people who are atheists, for example, or maybe you're, reach, you're saying into ministry for people who are, for reaching, who are reaching out to prostitutes or whatever it is. Uh, 
you are having a part in the ministry. But now there's also people, you know, this is the thing that, that, that grieves me is coming from South Africa. I know what poverty is, okay? I know I, I, I know I have seen poverty. Many Americans struggle to realize how bad poverty can really become unless you've been in a country like where I've been, okay? I grew, I lived there for over 20 years. I know what poverty is. And when I see that and I see people who in America are putting up paywalls and saying you can't have access to our teachings unless you pay $20. Well, here's the thing. $20 is a whole lot of money. That's uh, that can be a, that can be a month's salary for some countries, for many countries, more than you would expect. Even $10, even $5 could be a week's worth of, of wages. They will never be able to afford getting access to a gospel teaching if an American is putting it behind a paywall. Do you understand how we are cutting off so many people from the gospel if we charge? And so I say support ministries who do not charge for the gospel, who follow the biblical model, and help sow into those ministries so that they can continue doing what they are doing so that those who cannot or would not give can get access to the gospel too. This is the biblical model. This is why God gave it. And it's important for the gospel to go forth. And this has been established in the early church already. We see how Peter, could, he could have gone and been like, yes, yeah, Simon, give me $10 and I'll, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. Yes, yeah, Simon, give me $10 and I'll baptize you. Yes, yeah, Simon, give me $10 and I'll give you this teaching. And you can come to my sermon. I'm like, no, it was free. Okay. I feel strongly about this because I, I have seen how this has come in the way of the gospel. All right. Enough said. Let's move on. <laughs> I want to read to you this little peace as we end this teaching off, because I think there's something beautiful about baptism that's being taught here. Acts 8 verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was the book of Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was reading. He was laid to the slaughter like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens his mouth. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? <laughs> what prevents me? And he commanded the chair to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Like, wow, I love this story. It's so powerful. And there's some really important points here that I think is very important um, for today. Because I think, again, it's going to speak to some things happening today in modern church um, that are unfortunate. One of the first things I want to talk about is how it begins with the Spirit said to Philip. Well, I mean, that does that happen often? Like the Spirit said to him, Spirit said to him, like, th does the Spirit say to you things often? Do you hear the Spirit hey, go, say, hey, go there, speak to this person. Hey, go there, do this. Go there, do that. Or, or is that more of a rare thing? I want to submit to you that the more we listen, the more we will hear. If you're someone who rarely prays, 
you're someone who are not who is not in talking with God oftentimes you will not you will be in your flesh so much that you rarely even hear him so it's very important for us to be in prayer often you will read oftentimes like with uh, another example is Peter when Peter got that vision with the uh, the animals coming down from heaven he was praying when he got that vision in other words he was in busy communicating with God already drawing near to God and then he got the vision I want to submit to you that a prayer life is so important if you don't have a prayer life that is active and more than five minutes before you go to bed <laughs> then don't expect you to hear what God is saying. You know, God will speak, but you will, you'll miss it because you're so in your flesh and consumed with the thoughts of your flesh. But the moment you pray, you open yourselves up to the Spirit and you will hear the Spirit more often. So, then you will hear the Spirit speak to you like he just said to Philip, hey, go over there. All right? And now the next thing he says is, um, oh, excuse me, what the, what the eunuch says is, how can I know what I'm reading unless someone guides me? This is interesting. The eunuch understood the principle and how important it was to have someone guide him. It is important for us to be disciple makers, to guide people to Christ. This is what Philip was doing. This is what discipleship is, is, is coming, coming alongside someone, drawing near to someone and walking a path with him, sometimes a long path, sometimes it's a day, like here, sometimes it's a month, whatever the Lord has in store for that friendship, that discipleship. But discipleship is something that we all need to be doing. That that girl at work sitting next to you who's the atheist, or that lady who's struggling with this or that, or that man at your job, or, or that kid in your school class, okay, whatever, like, there are people all around us who God places there. Sometimes he desires us to draw near to them like he desired uh, Philip to draw near to the eunuch. Okay. So discipleship is very important. And it's not just for the priest. It's not just for the pastor. It's for all of us. Because if we all leave it up to one person, we will never see the gospel spread the way that it did in the early church. Because we have changed the model into one man or two men, you know, one or two pastors in the church and everyone goes to them, everyone learns there, everyone gets discipled there. But the biblical model was people were going out and discipling wherever they went, wherever God put in front of them. Because that's a multiplication strategy that is way more fruitful and powerful than even having arenas full of people listen to one man. Because you will have... If you have one person preaching the gospel, that other person and that other person, two people, they hear it. And if those two people make two disciples, we already have four more people. And if those four people make two disciples, we have eight more people. And it goes on and on and it multiplies. So discipleship is very powerful. It's a lot more lasting and people don't fall away from the faith as easily if they're being walked alongside. The next thing I want to talk about is how it's interesting that um, the baptism is happening so quickly. Do you realize that this all happened? I don't know how long this was. You know, they, they were speaking. Maybe it was an hour, two hours, 
Maybe it was half an hour. Who knows? It was a couple of hours. And that day, from meeting to him getting baptized, boom, it happens. You see, it's interesting because when he says, um, when the eunuch says, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? You know, Philip could have been like, you know what? Um, go through this, this, this class. Go through that course, that, that course at our church first. And, you know, then maybe in six months when we have our annual baptisms, you can get baptized there. That's so unbiblical, it's so unbiblical. It grieves me, it grieves me, it grieves me because in six months, man, like I have to wait six months or I have to wait three months or I have to wait a month. What prevents me? That's why God put the story in here. Nothing prevents it from happening today. If you have repented of your sins and professed faith in Jesus, Yeshua, that's it. Get in the water, get baptized, do not delay. That's the teaching of the scriptures and it, it, it frustrates me. I remember when I was in South Africa, people were traveling, brothers and sisters, far and wide from the other side of the country to come to me while I was a student at university just to get baptized by me because their churches didn't want to baptize them because they were said, you can get baptized in six months. You can get baptized if you go through this course. And they're like, I, I just want to get baptized. Like, you know, nothing wrong with a discipleship course, nothing wrong with a class at a church, nothing wrong. But if we put it as a barrier to baptism, Man, like if the person is actually repentant in their heart and believes like Philip saw in the eunuch, baptize. That's what we clearly see in scripture. Okay, and um, the last thing that I would say, last two things I would say on this is that Philip baptizing is something that is, something we all should be doing. Not only discipling people, but baptizing people. It is actually not normal, supposed to be normal, not supposed to be normal for people to be believers, go through their lives as believers and never baptize anyone. It's just not normal. It's That's weird. We, we are all supposed to be people who make disciples and who baptize people. It's not like supposed to be, okay, you know, you come to my church and the pastor will do it. That's fine. That can happen. But if we live lives that are active discipleship lifestyles, who make disciples, we will find ourselves baptizing people. We will find ourselves coming and walking a road of people, meeting someone and then that night baptizing them after proclaiming to them the gospel. They don't have to wait till they get to the church service. What prevents me from getting baptized? Right, so brothers and sisters, Philip was not an apostle. He was just a normal believer. And so I want to submit to you that as God worked through Philip, he can do the same through you. And as Philip went, unlike Simon, then we see this contrast, Simon charging for money, wanting to charge for money, Simon having a, a heart that is greedy. And we have Philip who's pure, upright, never charges, never does. He just casts out demons. He heals the sick. He baptizes. He spends times with people, spending time reading the word, teaching the word, guiding them. He does all of this with no expectation of you need to pay me before I do anything for you. 
but yet it would have been very good, very, very good for someone to, who, was, who was blessed by Philip's ministry to be like, hey, Philip, you have blessed me. I want to give into your ministry because you are a laborer. You are a worker worthy of your wages. Amen. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, I, I hope that this teaching has helped you. I'm really trying to bring balance. These are complex topics, but balance is needed. It's so, there's so many extremes on this side, I feel, in this teaching. Many people who are totally against giving. Many people who are totally against money. Many people who are, who are on the other side of, of, of totally like you need to pay. And there are many people also on the side of um, you need to be a pastor to baptize. And oh, there are many people, I don't know, there are so many things out of balance. I feel like in the topics we've discussed today in, in the hearts of many. But I really ask you to consider praying about where your heart is and what the truth is and how to have a balanced outlook on these very important fundamentals that God is laying for us in this chapter. I hope that this has blessed you. Please subscribe to stay up to date with this series for next week's video on the book of Acts and uh, like this video and share it and comment your thoughts below. It really helps out. I would love to hear what you have to what you have to say, your thoughts. And I'd love to hear any questions that you have about this chapter or any future chapters that we're about to head into here. Many, many blessings and shalom. I love you guys. Rise on Fire is a crowdfunded ministry that takes Yeshua to the world and equips the body of Christ to walk as he walked and worship him in spirit and in truth. I'd like to say a special thank you to our partners who have made this video possible and who have prayed for us. Mm, and if you'd like to partner with us, please visit our website at riseonfire.com. Shalom. Shalom.